Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For today's episode, I bring you Secrets of Scotland Yard, episode titled The Lucky Murderer, originally aired July 31st, 1950, where a chance of luck saved a man from being sent to the gallows. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. From the Longhorn Radio Network, Adventure and Mystery, classic series from radio's golden past. In the Secrets of Scotland Yard. How do you do? This is Ty Brook. I was going to call this week's casebook history The Case of the Lucky Murderer, but that would be wrong. If a man accused of murder is reprieved, then one has no right to call him a murderer. But in this case, guilty or not guilty, a reprieve might not have been forthcoming, save for an element of luck quite unique in the casebook histories of Scotland Yard. I use the word luck but it is not a favorite of mine. I don't like to think that our lives are governed entirely by chance happenings. One's efforts become reasonless. On the other hand, who has not experienced some inconsequential happening that has changed the whole course of their lives? Instead of luck, shall we call it fate? Alexander Campbell Mason, a young Scot, stood his trial for murder at the Old Bailey in the spring of 1903. Now, whether it was luck or chance or fate, or whatever you care to call it, the fact that a shower of rain started on a certain day at a certain hour almost certainly saved him from the gallows. It all began on the night of March the 9th, 1903. It was a quiet evening at Scotland Yard, and in the duty room, attention was being concentrated on matters of far greater import than the mere solving of crime. Two, fifteen, four, a pair, six, a month is not make up. Now, God, let me see now. Fifteen, two, fifteen, four, fifteen, six, a run of three. Ah, drat. Huh? Yes, speaking. What's that? Where'd you say? Yes. Yes. Yes, I got that. All right. I'll come straight over. And I thought we were going to have an eating night. Well, what's after? Murder. Uh, that means an all-night session, I suppose. Where about? Brixton. A taxi driver. Another bash and rob case? No, this one was shot. Have they, have they got the man who did it? Not yet. Oh, I knew it. We'll be lucky if we're through by breakfast time. Well, there's no use chewing the rag. Come on, let's get to work. Fire away. You've identified the victim, of course? Yes, sir. Jacob Dickey. Anything known against him? No, sir. Everyone speaks well of him. Quiet, hard-working fellow. Never been in any kind of trouble. I see. Well... 
How did it happen? Well, it appears Dickie picked up a fare in the West End who wanted to be driven across the river here to Brixton, sir. Anyway, the taxi stopped in Batefee Road, just near the corner of Acre Lane, and a passenger got out of the taxi. A man? Yes, sir. Yes, he and the driver seemed to be having a row about something, sir. Then there was a fight, the sound of a revolver shot, the driver fell, and the passenger ran for it. Didn't anyone try and stop him? No, sir. The only eyewitness... The only eyewitnesses were some distance away, and anyway... I suppose they were scared of the revolver, sir. So he got away, eh? Yes, sir. He's cuddled over a wall, and then a couple of minutes later, he forced his way through a house, fronting on the Acre Lane, and from there, I suppose he made his way to Clapham and back to town, sir. Were any of these eyewitnesses able to give a description of him? No, sir. It was pretty dark. He was just a sort of shadowy figure, as far as I was concerned. The only person who got anything like a decent look at him was the woman whose house he went to. And what's she, sir? She's in the next room now, sir, if you'd like to speak with her. All right, sir, bring her in. Speak with her. Can you come in here a minute, please? Thank you. Uh, this is an inspector from Scotland Yard. He wants to ask you a few questions. I don't know any more than what I've told you. Do I have to go all over it again? If you wouldn't mind, please. Now, first of all... Did you see anything of the actual struggle or the shooting of the taxi driver? Yes, I happened to be looking out of the window of the back upstairs bedroom. Ah, that overlooks Baytree Road, does it? Well, sort of. There's a couple of backyards and a vacant allotment between, if you know what I mean. I see. So you were some distance away. Yes. Too far to get more than a rough idea of what was going on, but uh, I knew it was something pretty serious when I heard the shot. You saw one man fall and the other run away? Yes. And did you see this other man scale a fence? No, I didn't, no. no. I was on my way downstairs by then. Well, what happened next? I just got to the back door, and as I opened it, a man came rushing in. <laughs> got quite a start, don't mind telling you. <laughs> did you speak to him at all? Yes, I said, here, what's the big idea? But he never answered. He just pushed past me and ran through the passageway and out of the front door and away to lane. Did you get a good look at him? Well, not really. It's all over in a second, as you might say. Still, you must have some idea of what he looked like. Oh, yes, he was sort of small, with a white, pasty face, clean shaven. I never took much notice of how he was dressed, I'm afraid. Youngish man? Oh, I'd say about 25, thereabouts. Would you recognize him if you saw him again, do you think? I think so. Splendid. And just one other question. Did you recognize this man who went through your house as the same one who'd be in the fight with the taxi driver? Well, he must have been, mustn't he? Oh, no. Let's not do any assuming. Now, put it this way. From what you saw of the fight and later of the man who went through your house, would you be prepared to say positively he was the same one? Well, not positively. After all, as I said, I only saw the fight at the distance. It was dark. But they were about the same build and they, and they both wore caps. And that's as far as you're prepared to go? Yes. I see. Well, thank you very much, anyhow. Oh, it's all right. Always willing to oblige. Uh, can I go now? Yes, of course. Out this way, sir. Doesn't tell us much, does it? Oh, what's this start? By the way, I don't suppose you found anything in the cab that might help to identify the murderer, did you? Well, of fact, we did, sir. This. Ah. An ebony stick with a gold knob, eh? Of course, it might have been left for the same fellow at all, but by some previous passenger. Surely it should be worth following up. It most certainly should. And indeed it was. Back at the yard, the stick yielded nothing of any consequence in the way of fingerprints. But within half an hour... I've got some news for you, sir. Good. It's about this ebony stick, sir. 
I showed it to Detective Morley, and he says he's seen it, or his mate, being carried about by a man named uh, Eddie Vivian. Vivian? I don't think I know him. He's an American, sir. Nasty piece of work. Came over here about six months ago. Supposed to have been mixed up with one of those Chicago bootlegging gangs. Gunman, eh? Yes, sir. Do we know where he is now? Well, he's supposed to be living with some woman in a place in Charlwood Street, Pimlico. That's just off Looper Street, isn't it? Yes, sir. Come on, then. What are we waiting for? You better bring a couple more men and make sure they're well armed. This fellow might give us a little trouble. Eddie Vivian gave no trouble at all. As it had been stated, he was a nasty piece of work. And almost since the day of his birth, no one had ever wanted him. Except the police. Thus they became almost welcome and they found him fast asleep, so he said, but friendly and cooperative. You sure of that? Sure, I'm sure. When did you come in? Oh, around about six o'clock. What time did you go out again? That's what I'm telling you. I didn't go out. I stayed right here. Can you prove that? I say, what is this anyway? Oh, I know you guys are only doing your jobs, but, well, say, what's it all about? Never mind about that. I'm asking you, can you prove you've been home all the evening? Oh, I guess so. Hey, Floppy. What do you want? Ah, these guys want to know where I've been tonight. Well, why don't you tell them? Let's go back to the bus. They want you to tell them. Oh, I don't want. Come on, Eddie, for Pete's sake. You talk to me. Not I'm making all my beauty sleep. <laughs> don't look in the mirror now, kid, but you missed that years ago. What do you mean, Mr. Yelton? Call We're police officers, in case you haven't realized it yet. Huh? Uh, Perhaps now you'll answer the question. You mean about Eddie? Yes. Where's he been this evening? Oh, well, he's been here with me. He left here at all? No. Not at any time? Not even to go down to the pub for a drink, for instance? No, no, he's been here all the while. Would you be prepared to swear to that in court? Well, why shouldn't I be a stick to? All right. You can go now. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm sure. Well, satisfied, copper? Not in the least. And don't call me copper. I don't like it. Have a look at this stick, Vivian. You ever seen it before? Sure, it's mine. So you admit it, eh? Sure, why not? And say, how did you get hold of it? We found it in Brixton. Brixton? How the heck would it get all the way over there? We thought you'd be the one to answer that question. I wouldn't have the slightest idea unless Alec lost it in some place. Alec? Why, sure, he's a buddy of mine, Alec Mason. I lent it to him a couple of days ago. Was that the Alexander Campbell, Mason? Fair-haired, sandy complexion, aged about 24, speaks with a slight Scottish accent. Yeah, I guess it would be. I know that fellow well, sir. He's only been out about two months. Hey, I, I haven't been talking out of turn, have I? I wouldn't want to split on a buddy. Maybe it wasn't Alec I'll let the stick short or maybe it was some other guy. Uh, well, say, you know how a fellow gets kind of all mixed up. Well, you'd better straighten yourself out pretty quickly. This happens to be a case of murder. Murder? That's what I said. Gosh, I don't want to get mixed up in nothing like that. Well, isn't Mason you lent this stick to her, wasn't it? I want a straight answer, Vivian. Sure. Sure. It was him, okay? That's all I want to know. Oh. Take a statement from him, Robinson. You have to come with me. They're going to find Mason. You'd think that finding one man among literally millions wouldn't be easy. But within 12 hours, Mason had been recognized in the strand, arrested, and taken to the yard. Now, unlike his American pal, Eddie Vivian, he was far from cooperative when it came to answering questions. Last night, you engaged a taxi in the West End and were driven to Baytree Road, Brixton. Did I? You refused to pay the driver and tried to stick him up for his wallet. 
He grappled with you. You shot him through the chest and ran away. You tell a great deal about me, don't you? You jumped a wall, forced your way through a house into Acre Lane, and made good your escape. Unfortunately for you, you left this behind you in the taxi. A black ebony gold knob stick. Recognize it? I am not talking. You might as well, you know. Why not be sensible, Mason? We have the goods on you, so denials are useless. Admit the whole thing, make a free confession, and we'll do the best we can for you. I don't promise anything, of course, but we may even be able to break down the charge to manslaughter. I tell you, I have nothing to say. Now, look here. If you want to charge me, go ahead and see if you can prove anything against me. Don't kid yourself about that, my lad. We'll prove it, all right. That same afternoon, Alexander Mason stood in a lineup at Brixton Police Station. Several police officials were there. So was the woman who reported the man running through her house. Now, madam, I want you to look at these men closely. Take your time about it and don't get flustered. Do you recognize any one of them as the man you saw last night? Yes, I do. You realize, of course, that this identification may be the means of sending a man to the gallows? Yes. So it behoves you to be absolutely certain beyond any possible shadow of doubt. Uh, I'm certain, all right. I'd know him anywhere. Very well, then. Now, which one is it? M. Third one. Little one. Third on the left. Why, sir? That's Mason. vital evidence emerged in a case through the accused talking too much. A considerable portion, I should say. One case I remember calling three words too many, but those three words were enough to send a murderer to the gallows. The accumulated evidence of these casebook histories is a convincing proof that the ability to keep your mouth shut is the greatest asset for the criminal and the greatest hindrance for the law. Fortunately for Scotland Yard, few criminals can keep that trap shut. Alexander Campbell Mason happened to be one who could. In spite of all blandishments, punishments and threats, he remained stubbornly and unyieldingly dumb, even at the preliminary police court hearing. You've heard all the evidence on which this charge of murder against you is based. It's my duty now to advise you that either of two courses is open to you. You may make a statement from the dock, or you may reserve your defense. If you have any evidence to refute that which has been presented against you, I would suggest that, in your interest, you should reveal it now, so that the opportunity may be afforded to bring testimony in support. I have nothing to say. I reserve my defense. A man of few words, young Mr. Mason. A man who could keep his trap shut. Whether he was being canny or merely pig-headed, there's no way of knowing. But whatever actuated him, there's no doubt at all, his resolute silence had a disturbing effect on the prosecution. Indeed, as he surveyed the evidence, the Crown Prosecutor, Sir Richard Muir, was anything but happy. I don't like it, Inspector. I don't like it at all. Why not, sir? It seems a straightforward enough case to me. Yes, well, I consider the fact. Who's our chief witness? This man, Vivian, nasty piece of work has ever crossed the Atlantic. 
He not only is a crook with a criminal record, but he looked it. You're afraid the jury mightn't take to him, sir? Take to him? They'll distrust him on sight. Within five minutes, they'll probably be convinced that he's the man who should be in the dock. But dash it all, sir. They can't go against his alibi. I mean, the girl Flossie swears he was home with her all night. And who do you imagine would place any reliance on Flossie's word? No, the whole thing's too loose. I like my cases neatly bundled and tied up. Even so, sir, there's still the evidence of the woman who identified Mason. The jury is not likely to go against that. My dear fellow, the important point you seem to miss is that this woman doesn't identify Mason as the man who fought with and shot Dickie, but merely as the man who passed through her house. I quite realize that, sir. All the it's same... It's no use talking, Inspector. We're going to have to fight every inch of the way for conviction, and it'd be foolish to delude ourselves otherwise. If only Mason would talk. If only we had some idea of the line his defense is going to take. I don't suppose we could persuade him to... It's no use, sir. I've been at him and at him. I've never met such a stubborn person in all my life. Oh, well. We'll just have to hope for the best, I suppose. Oh, well, I, I, I suppose as a matter of course, I'd better take a run down to Brixton and have a look at the scene of the crime. Would you like me to come with you, sir? Well, might as well. We'll drive down there tomorrow morning. I'll pick you up at nine ten. Next morning, as Alec Mason paced his cell... Raining again. Oh, what a climate. And the summons has the nerve to talk of Scotland. If he'd realized just what that rain meant, if he'd realized what the chance circumstance of it happening to fall at this particular time was to mean to him, the very difference between death and life, I wonder what he'd have said. For at the precise moment it began to fall in real earnest, a car pulled up in Baytree Road, Brixton. Oh, blast! I haven't even brought an umbrella. No, why, sir? Oh, I can't trust this weather for five minutes. We're going to get horribly wet, I'm afraid. Oh, sir. no, we're not. We'll do our inspecting from right here in the car. Now... Exactly where was the taxi standing at the time? And uh, just about 15 yards ahead of here, sir. And the fight took place on the footpath. Yes, sir. Well, I presume that wall is the one Mason scaled after the shooting. That's right, sir. And which is the house he went through? The third one on the left, sir. You can just see the upper windows from here. Those with the green curtains. Oh, yes, sir. And between this wall and the back door of the house, there's what in the way of fences, walls, and so on? It's all here on this ordnance map, sir. Splendid, splendid. I'll take it with me and study it back in my office. Well, that seems to me to be just about the last, doesn't it? Wouldn't like to wait till the rain stops and then make a personal examination. Oh, good. Oh, no, it'll probably be pouring till lunchtime. Anyhow, with what I've seen and with this map, I'll have the whole layout quite clear in the time. Shall we go? Yes, as you like, sir. Right. Lucky Alec Mason. If you only knew on how narrow a thread your life hung that morning when Sir Richard Muir visited Brixton. Suppose, for instance, it hadn't been raining. Suppose the sun had been shining brightly, as it does sometimes in London. But let's stick to the facts, shall we? The facts are these. Mason's trial duly began at the Old Bailey. On the whole, the American Vivian acquitted himself in the witness box much better than the prosecutor had dared hope. And by the time the last of the Crown witnesses had been examined, a strong circumstantial case had been made out against the prisoner.
And then, at long last, Mason broke his silence. I, I was in the taxi, all right. I'm not attempting to deny it. And will you deny, sir, that when Dickie stopped his taxi in Bay Tree Road, Brixton, you presented a revolver at him and demanded his wallet? He was stuck up and told to hand over, but not by me. Indeed. Then are we to presume there was a third person in the taxi? Sir. Would you mind telling the court who this other person was? Eddie Vivian. That's all right. You say Vivian was with you. Do you propose to call any evidence in support of that? Why should I? It's not his word against mine. So you say it was Vivian and not you who held up the accident? Yes. But it was you who became embroiled in the fight and who fired the shot, wasn't it? No, I had not to do with it. It was Eddie Vivian. Hmm. You've heard the evidence of previous witnesses, Mason. Several people saw the fight and saw Dickie fall. Yet not one of them has mentioned the presence of a third person. How do you account for that? I was in the cab. What was going on? I hadn't been seen. In the cab, eh? And at what stage of the proceedings did you leave the cab? Straight after the shooting. Vivian bolted for it, and so did I. But surely, if you had had nothing to do with it, if your hands were free, as the saying goes, there was no need to run, was there? Wouldn't you have done better to have stopped and gone to the assistance? I was scared. Scared of what? Of being blamed for the whole thing. It's only natural that a fellow must be record. You mean you didn't think the police would believe your protestations of innocence? That's right. And yet you expect this court to believe them now? Well, now let's proceed. You ran from the sea. Then you did what? I jumped the wall. And then? And climbed a couple of backyard fences, then pushed past a woman and ran through the passageway of a house out into Acre Lane. I want you to look at this ordnance map. Ah, you see this dotted line? Would you say that followed the route you took? Over this wall, over these fences, and through the house? Aye, more or less. And what was Vivian doing while all this was going on? He was about uh, 20 feet ahead of me. Are we to understand that he, as well as you, made his escape through the passageway of this house? No. Through the other house, further along then? No. Uh, look at this map again, you observed all these houses fronting Acre Lane are terrace houses in their surface. Mm -hmm. Then if he didn't escape through one of these, by what other possible route could he have got through to Acre Lane? He didn't. He didn't? No. I turned right to see, and he turned left. He went through this vacant allotment here, and came out on the suburban road. gentlemen, uh, may I see the map for a moment? Certainly, Thank you, yes. Yes, yes, I, I see what the prisoner means. I, I am not well acquainted with the area, but it does seem feasible a man could escape that way. Uh, proceed, Sir Richard. Thank you, sir. Now, Mason, why have you left it till now to tell this remarkable story of yours? Why didn't you tell it to the police or to the magistrate? I had my reasons. Would I be right in assuming your main reasons to give you time to concoct something that might convince the jury? That's not so. That's the truth I told you. May I struck dead if I am lying. I had not to do with the shooting, so help me God. You can imagine what a sensation Mason's evidence caused. Up to this time, there seemed to be no question whatever of his guilt. But now, well, he could be telling the truth. 
And once that element of doubt is introduced in a murder trial, the prosecution's job becomes doubly hard. Moreover, Sir Richard was now in the unenviable position, not only of having to prosecute Mason, but at one and the same time to defend his own chief witness, Vivian. It was a great tribute to his ability and eloquence that at last, after a long retirement, the jury rejected Mason's defense and came back with a verdict of guilty. Listeners at the bar, you have heard the jury's verdict. Have you anything to say before I pass sentence upon you? Not much, my lord. I've had a fair trial, and on the evidence that's been heard, I can't complain about the jury's decision. All I want to say, my lord, is that it wasn't me that did it. And if there's anyone here who wants to stop an innocent man from going to his death, he'll investigate the case first before it's too late. A simple, quiet, reasoned statement. And a short one. Wise young Alexander Mason. Those few words created a greater impression and swung sympathy in his favor more than all the evidence he had given. And so it was that a fortnight later, as Mason waited in the condemned cell, the rich was summoned to the office of the Home Secretary, Mr. Bridgman. Sir Richard, I've been going through the papers of the Mason case. Yes, sir. I must say the weight of evidence is all against Mason and that the jury arrived at quite a proper verdict. I don't know you. Feel uh, but nevertheless, there does seem to me some slight element of doubt, as I'm sure you'll be the first to admit. You mean that cock and bull story Mason told involving Vivian, sir? I'm not so sure it is a cock and bull story. In any case, I must say that Mason's demand throughout was quite exemplary. You know, I'd rather see ten guilty men go free than have one possibly innocent one suffer. And so, when I decided to grant a reprieve. Well, that's, that's your privilege, sir. But perhaps you're doing the right thing. I don't know. So the reprieve was granted, and there the whole story might have ended. But Sir Richard Muir wasn't satisfied. He kept thinking back to that morning when he'd visited the scene of the shooting at Brixton. That wet morning, when instead of making a examination of the ground, He'd been content to sit in the shelter of the car and do his inspecting from there. The more he thought of it, the more convinced he became that he'd neglected his duty for the sake of comfort. And this was a disturbing thought to such a conscientious man. And so one day, one fine day... Here we are, sir. Recapitulate briefly, shall we? Uh, here's where the taxes stopped. Here's where the fight took place. Here's where Mason, on his own account, Vivian as well, scrambled over the wall. There's a gateway here. Let go through. Certainly. So these are the backyard. What a maze. I presume this low fence and the two beyond are the ones Mason scaled. And that's the back door of the house through which he forced his way into Acre Lane. That'll be right, sir. According to his story, Vivian continued on for a short distance, then turned left through a vacant allotment and emerged into Sudburn Road. Correct, sir. But, oh, hang it all, Inspector. There is no vacant allotment. Huh? What's that, sir? Oh, look yourself. An unbroken row of houses. Vivian couldn't have escaped as Mason claimed it would have been humanly impossible. But the map, sir. Well, that map was obviously out of date. These houses are comparatively new. They, they must have gone up since then. Where are we blown? Then that means... Sir, that, that means, Inspector, that Mason was lying in court. 
And if I hadn't been so milked up, if, if we hadn't been so scared of getting our precious feet wet, I could have proved beyond all doubt that Vivian couldn't escape this way or any way at all. Therefore, Mason must have been the man who fired the fatal shot. What are you going to do about it, sir? Well, the law's taken its course. Mason's been tried, found guilty, sentenced, and reprieved. There's, there's nothing I can do. Only one could do. Saved by a rainstorm, eh? It just goes to show. As you say, Inspector, it just goes to show. It just goes to show what? That Alexander Campbell Mason was lucky? I don't like that word. Alexander Campbell Mason was reprieved because he was able to resist saying too much. Alexander Campbell Mason was a young man of considerable character. Mostly bad. Well, that's all for now. I'll be back again soon to tell you some more of the secrets of Scotland Yard. Meanwhile, this is Clive Brooks saying goodbye and pleasant dreams. Secrets of Scotland Yard is distributed by the Center for Telecommunication Services, the University of Texas at Austin, by special arrangement with the Overseas Programming Companies Limited. Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening.